0: One, two, three.
1: Welcome to Three Song Stories, the podcast that wields music's power to connect us to our pasts as a way into those pasts and the stories they contain. Thanks for listening. I'm Mike Canary. Our guest this episode is Robert Maycomer. He's an award-winning and internationally recognized Florida author, lecturer, and TV commentator, best known for his honor series, which are naval thrillers, which start during the Civil War and run into the early 1900s. He's also been a consultant for the U.S. Department of Defense, specializing in strategic vision and planning by using historical analogies of what works. He grew up on the waters along the coast of southwest Florida and was an offshore racing skipper starting when he was just 17 years old, racing the next three decades or so in Florida, Mexico, and the Bahamas. When not traveling the world for research, lecture tours, and book signings, Robert lives on Pine Island, where he still sails and enjoys cooking the exotic cuisines found throughout his novels. Hey there, Robert. How you doing? Good morning. So, what kind of spices did you put on that egg this morning? <laughs> well, uh, simple spices: a basil and oregano. Basil and oregano. So now let's pivot to the exotic cuisines found throughout your novels. What kind of stuff would we find in your novels in terms of exotic cuisines?
0: Uh, see how uh, I got? See yeah, how I'm going here? <laughs> you're, you're, uh, your, your uh, Machiavellian and uh, your segues uh, <laughs> there. I have to. I have to t- stay 10 steps ahead of you on that one. <laughs> well, listen, uh, you know, I, uh, my books take place in Africa and in South America and Southeast Asia and South Pacific, Europe, um, the Caribbean. So all of those places I've been to to research the books mm-hmm. and fell in love with the food and the music and the culture. So uh, I enjoy, for instance, in Africa, in, in northwestern Africa – um, I enjoy. It takes three days to do this, but I enjoy making an African dinner for guests at my house, mm. and um, I get spices from Africa. You can actually order them, right? Know. And um, and so, uh, food is one of the greatest exports, and the cuisine thereof is one of the greatest exports that a, a country can do. Look at India or Mexico or, you know, all these countries that everybody loves their food now and, and you know, by extension, they kind of love that country mm-hmm. and so I, uh, I like to bring food into my books and into my life um, and it's just a great relaxing thing for me to spend – you know, an afternoon making an exotic dinner yeah, for, yeah. for friends that come
1: over. You know, and it occurs to me as we're – because what we were talking about now and before about how songs connect us. you know, music is sort of – I mean, uh, food is sort of the same thing. I think yes. somebody could do a three
0: menus exactly. stories yeah. podcast. It's one of the great connectors between cultures and between uh, individuals. Hmm.
1: Yeah. So you grew up uh, – you, uh, you know, you grew up in southwest Florida. Whereabouts mm-hmm. in southwest Florida did you grow up?
0: Um, well, all over, but uh, my family uh, lived in Cape Coral before there were
1: bridges. I was going to say, yeah, before it was Cape Coral, it was a Cape. I'm uh, sorry, it was, no, it was it Cape, was Cape, Cape Coral. Coral. It just you uh, had to get there the long way.
0: Yeah, and uh, and then I lived on a sterile island, um, which everybody calls Fort Myers Beach now. Right. I say I still call it a sterile island. And everybody mm-hmm. says, where's that? Including people that live there. Yeah, they yeah. say, where's that? And I go, oh, you're living you're on, it. on it. You're standing on it. And then I lived for a while up the river at Olga. Oh, okay. Um, lived in South Fort Myers for a while. I seem to be one step ahead of of trouble. That's what I try to do. And slowly. you're
1: and you're on Pine Island now? I, I lived, on, I
0: lived um, on Pine Island for many years. I lived on Matlaché Island. Okay. Uh, that's a separate island, by the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, – and now I moved back to the Big Island, so I'm back on Pond Island.
1: So, what was the musical background of your childhood when you were growing up? What was being you know, uh, um, what were you absorbing? Uh, my preference was uh, folk music and beach,
0: beach boy music. And um, so that was that was my world. Now, there were other people that were getting into this new phenomenon that was coming over across the pond from Britain, um, you know, the, obviously the Beatles and everybody else. But I just preferred the old folk music, and and the the stuff that I could identify with. You take a guitar to a uh, to a local beach on a Saturday night. You have a bonfire, and everybody's sitting around uh, having a good time singing.
1: And that was the way I grew up. do you play a guitar? Uh, yeah, not very well. Still to this day. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, you you grew up. Uh, on the water, when you when yeah. you say – when it says in your bio you were a racing skipper, what kind mm-hmm. of boat or boats are we talking about uh, here? Sail. Sail. Under sail. Yeah. How, like how big? Like, one, um, one, I'm not really so, well, was, super knowledgeable in this world, but I'd yeah. like to paint a picture.
0: In those days when I was a teenager, I was uh, sailing and, and skippering a 24-foot uh, – it was known in those days as a Morsey boat, which mm-hmm. is a midget ocean racing boat. And um, – and we did pretty well on her. Hmm. Yeah, I had my own crew and, yeah, sailed that, all up and down this coast.
1: Wow. That's um, – yeah. um and you still sail to this day, mm-hmm. right? Yep. What kind of boat you have these days?
0: Nowadays, I have downsized. I've had large vessels and small ones. And uh, as I've gotten older, I've decided to de-stress and downsize. And so now I have a 15-foot sloop that was – uh Designed and built in California, it has a small cabin with a seven-foot-long V-berth, a stove, a little porta-potty head, and I go sailing up and down this coast in that. Hmm. So I'll I'll go out for a couple of days. Hmm. Yeah. Sounds sounds pretty nice. It's great because I can just jump on the boat and go. Right, and the maintenance is easy. Hmm. Fifteen feet long.
1: So um, you know, you're a a novelist. You're a lecturer. Mm -hmm. What did you want to be when you grow up? Or you know, at what point? (laughs) At what point? What? What point did writer enter your uh, Uh, your lexicon?
0: Much later in life, but uh, originally I wanted to be an admiralty lawyer. What is it? Like, like, an admiralty like law. Like
1: naval law lawyer? Or? Yes, maritime okay. law. Maritime law, okay.
0: And so um, I <laughs> uh, I went to Edison College, mm-hmm. um, got my degree there, went up to the Uni- University of South Florida in Tampa. And um, I never met an admiralty lawyer until I got to Tampa. And uh, he explained to me at that time – this was a long, long time ago. He said, "Son, do you, what do you want to do this for?" And I and I said, "Well, of course, I had visions of me jetting to tropical areas, right? All expenses
1: paid." And did you look like dealing, a college student who spent all his time on a boat? Also, at this yeah, point, okay. right. <laughs>
0: and, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and and I had visions of solving maritime, really interesting problems, uh, simply by explaining to people how they should be solved, and then I would get lots of money and then go back to my office and then jet off to the next exotic location and I I didn't tell him that when he said why do you want to do this but I kind of <laughs> I kind of inferred it I think he figured it out and he said son you you do realize you will have no fun <laughs> in Admiralty law yeah there is no fun and there are only three law firms in Florida one in miami one in Tampa and one in Jacksonville that specialize in this, and you will work for twenty years as a law clerk doing research for somebody else in your law firm, and then when you're in your fifties, you might get to be a junior partner, <laughs> and then when you're in your sixties, you might get to go on one or two trips a year. And then you decided that's at not that, that your point path. <laughs> I thought, wow. Let's do something different. So I became a teacher.
1: A uh, teacher of what?
0: Uh, history. Of oh, course, okay. Geography up in Tampa. Oh. Yeah.
1: And then at what point did you start doing the research necessary to write these books that you've written? Well, that was much later in life and I've had several careers in my life. Okay. So. What else besides teacher and novelist? Uh, I've worked. Squeeze for, one more in there. <laughs> uh, I
0: was in uh, law enforcement
1: for many, many years. Really? Yeah. I worked for the government. Huh. What is the earliest musical memory you can recall? Um, probably some
0: some sea shanty. Yeah, yeah.
1: And where? How would you have been exposed to that?
0: Because I hung around sailors. I was around. So sailing is
1: in your blood. Oh yeah. Your folks. Your dad a sailor? Yeah. Oh, okay. He taught me. Huh. Yeah. And that was here. I mean, he grew up here as well. No. 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 But
0: um, no. Uh, he taught me the basics, and and then I took it from there.
1: Hmm. Um, uh, can you remember the first time music moving you somehow? Could it have been about the same thing? Because um, you know, Sea Shanty has that very. Um... No the, the the actually the first music that
0: that really got to me seriously got to me was when I was uh, about 12, 64, 65. and it was drinking gourd
1: oh well what a great segue so,
0: so um uh, as I said before I loved um, folklore music because I read all kinds of history and and folklore was the story of our history and um, growing up here I found that it it illuminated a part of our history that many times we didn't know down here
1: Hmm. So how did you come across this song? Do you remember? You know, Cuz I'd heard the name like when you sent it it triggered yeah. something Follow the and Pink I googled Girl. it yeah. and, and I saw that it is you know it's, it's it's not just by a person it's kind of been around part of the the culture.
0: Right. Yeah, it was uh I think it was first published in the 1920s. But it's been around for a long time and and it's nobody knows when it started but we think it started in the antebellum times when slavery was still uh, the law of the land uh, down in the south and right here in Florida. And I first heard it uh, probably on a long playing record from the New Christie Menstruals. I think they were the first ones that I heard do it. And then um, I heard an explanation. Uh, I, th- I believe it was on television where the new Christie minstrels were performing this and they gave a little, and I used to love that when you get the story behind the music Mm -hmm. and I still do when musicians tell a little bit of the meaning of the words and things. Well, this song uh, follow the drinking gourd is a puzzle Hmm. and it's a life saving puzzle. So if you were a slave on a plantation, uh, Uh, before the Civil War and you heard this song you would understand what it is it is a road map for freedom Hmm. and you would follow this song you would sing this song because that's how they passed information on is through music and uh, at a certain time of year you would go and follow the lyrics of this song and it would take you to where freedom awaited you
1: hmm Well, shall we hear it? I think we should. Let's hear it. Okay. This is uh, Follow the Drinking Gourd um, by a number of different people, but uh, we're going to hear it now and talk about it some more after. Follow the drinking gourd. So what does that song make you feel?
0: Well, um, growing up here in segregation, um, which I thought was stupid and immoral and inexplicable, and I couldn't find anybody that was uh, older than I was that could explain why we even had it. And I was, I was really um, bothered by the fact that uh, people who professed to be people of faith supported segregation and slavery before that. Um, that bothered me greatly. And then I heard this song. And then I did some follow-up on the song, I read some books uh, about it, and I found out there were a lot of people of faith that helped run the Underground Railroad, and um, we had slavery in this area. There were 208 slaves on the nearest plantation, which is uh, still existing by the way, it's Gamble Plantation up at uh, the Bradenton area. Hmm. It's a state historical site, you can go there. It's in The main house is in excellent shape. Hmm. And so um, this song uh, explained a little bit about how there were people in the South that were at great peril to themselves, saving one victim at a time. And, um, and I, it was also a fascinating uh, puzzle. Now, when you hear this song, it's got a catchy tune and melody, and you're kind of toe-tapping and stuff. But when you look at the lyrics and you find out what they mean, it's astounding. Mm-hmm. The left foot, peg foot, um, that goes from Peg Pegfoot Joe, who was an old sailor, who got hurt at sea and had to come ashore. His right leg, his right lower leg, was a peg leg. So he would mark a trail, on on the right bank of the Tom Bigby hmm. River, and. Uh, you would follow the trail that had a shoe print and, and then a, a peg hole right and that was a specific trail now you never do you didn't do any of this until you knew that the quail had come south because up north when the fall comes the quail migrate down south so when you see a lot more quail coming then you know that winter is coming and when winter comes, the Ohio River is frozen over, and that was the final barrier. Once you're in Ohio, um, then you're in a free state. So there are all these little hidden clues, and if you're singing this song in a plantation in Florida, uh, there were 70 plantations of 1,000 acres or more in Florida, and hmm. um, it, or any other slave state. If you're in the slave quarters and you're singing this song, chances are that the overseers, the people in charge, wouldn't understand what you were saying. Mm-hmm. Because on the face of it, it's simply a catchy tune yeah. and a folk tune. Hmm. But the drinking gourd is not about a container of water. It's about the Big Dipper. Which points north. Hmm. So if you follow I just chill. the Big Dipper, you're going to be heading north. If you follow the trail of Left Foot Pegfoot, you're going to be on one bank of the Tom Bigby, where it then goes between two hills. You go over the hill, and you're on the Tennessee River, and the Tennessee then goes, uh, curves around, and goes further north. And then finally, if you timed it right in the right time of, of, uh, of the year, you'll get up in this cold weather to the Ohio River, which will probably be frozen over. You can cross over.
1: You know, looking very closely at something like the lyrics of this song and then doing research and then being able to forward that story out to the world, that's basically what you do now as a novelist, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, I like to <laughs> No, it's great. I like I, it's to It's like illuminate. I got to see your whole process in a four-minute story. It's awesome. It's uh, great fun, actually. No, absolutely. But
0: this was illuminating for me. And I I'd already been interested in history, but I, I thought, this is a treasure hunt. And when you find the treasure, which is the meaning and the explanation of who we are and how we got here, then that's a great feeling. And I wanted to do it more and more. And so I spent my whole life either teaching or lecturing or writing uh, about history.
1: Hmm. Um, what kind of music is in your life these days? Do you have do you listen to music at the house? Do you have mm-hmm. you know what what are you listening to in terms of, contemporary music or is it – are you listening to any contemporary music? I
0: like a lot of music from countries that I've been to, cultures that I've been to. So I listen to a lot of world uh, ethnic music. Hmm. Um, I like Vietnamese music. I love African music.
1: How do you Uh, listen to it? Do you have like – you CDs. CDs. Okay, So you're you're bringing music home with you from your travels. Yeah. Huh. Um, Do you use Alexa or Pandora or streaming or any of that stuff?
0: No. I'm not that –
1: Modern. We I'm had, not, I'm um, not young and modern. Like uh, you are. David Broncaccio, who is the Marketplace mm-hmm. Morning Report guy, um, he was on this show way back when we first launched, and he has tuned into his cars, you know, web radio or whatever. He's got all these radio stations from all over the world that he can listen to in his car, and they're actually just the radio station, except it's coming in via the internet. So uh-huh. you're, you know, you might. I don't know. You don't look like you're going to check that out, are you?
0: <laughs> no, but you know, I just got a, I got a Chevy about, a new Chevy about a year ago. And they offered Sirius. Mm-hmm. So uh, we went ahead and got Sirius. And um, I like listened to Margaritaville. Yeah. Because I'm a, an original head before right. they even came up with the term. Right. And, um, you know, folk music. Yeah. Um, and uh, then I also listened to the Spa Channel. What which is, has sixty-eight on Sirius. What is spa? It, ha- it it's a it's a misnomer. It's a bad name for that. It's got really laid back um uh mellow music.
1: Hmm.
0: Not not really folk music, but just
1: really mostly meant in- to be relaxed. Mostly
0: instrumentals, yeah.
1: Hmm. Uh what about live music? Uh, have you seen many concerts over the years? I have um
0: a couple of favorites, uh, Lorena Mac- McKinnett. Which we're going to do later, but mm-hmm. um, I, w- I will travel a thousand or two thousand miles to hear Lorena
1: McKinnon. That was going to be one of my follow-up questions. So you are actually a I will make a trip to go see that song, yes. that band, or that, um, that performer.
0: One of my other uh, favorites is um, the uh, the Red Elvises. Are you familiar with them? They're the Russian Elvis guys, right? Russian Siberian Surfer Rock. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Siberian Surfer Rock. They are – it's a show band. It is hilarious. They do Tampa every year. Oh, really? And so I make the trip to Tampa to spend the night and go see them. Um, That's two sides of the – Two ends of the spectrum there, Lorena McKinnon and the Siberian uh, – What's the route.
1: farthest? You said you've traveled thousands of miles. Do you remember like a particular concert that you went to and where it was and how long well, ago that was? Well, Lorena
0: McKinnon is probably the, the farthest I've gone.
1: Where would that have uh, been to uh, – D.C. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Front row, center,
0: and the stage was only about uh, two feet up. Nice, so I was I could have shook hands with her. actually, I did later.
1: Where does music fit into your books? Um, song lyrics, probably, or well,
0: you know, um, yes, uh, the music is a very important part of the books because the five senses, your writers do the five senses and um and when i'm when i am writing the book, I'm playing the music from that area.
1: Okay, so you're writing with so music. I, yeah, I get into the uh,
0: you know, um, when I wrote about uh, Southeast Asia, I, you know, I'm smelling the incense I brought back hmm. and listening to the music, and uh, eating the food, so that I can more vividly describe it.
1: Hmm. Uh, when was the where was the last place you traveled to for research?
0: Cuba. Cuba. I go to Cuba a lot. Because several of my books take place there. My next one uh, is the story of uh, 1898 invasion of Cuba by the United States, fighting Spain for the freedom of Cuba. Hmm.
1: Um, How, if at all, has Cuba changed in the last few years with the opening up with more people coming?
0: Tremendously. When I first went there uh,
1: for research, that was 10
0: years ago and – uh, if you wore – if you were Cuban and you wore an American flag on your clothing, chances are you're just going to be disappeared off the street. No explanation. Um, now you see people wearing American flag logos all over. Hmm. Uh, I take my readers there. Uh, I have special groups of readers that that people sign up and I will take them there and I'll show them the places from my books hmm. in Cuba so they get to, to live it. And we bring, we give everybody two lapel pins that are crossed American and Cuban flags. And they wear one, and when I take my readers there, I take them there for a week. I tell them, pick a Cuban, because they they all fall in love with Cuba and the culture and the people, because Cuban people love Americans. And they pick one Cuban to give the flag pin to. They'll have 30 or 40 Cubans come up to them and go, we love that pin. Where can we get one? Well, they can't in Cuba. Mm-hmm. But the, my readers will pick one person who really gets to them. Over the last several years, when President Obama normalized the relations, there was a tremendous increase in the middle class of, uh, of Cuba, the entrepreneurship, the free enterprise. And people were, were creating restaurants. They were creating B&Bs in their homes Mm -hmm. Um, and they felt for the first time an opportunity to pursue their dreams inside a massively totalitarian state. Hmm. Um, And then a year and a half ago, that all fell apart and there were new restrictions from the new administration and suddenly – American tourism dropped. And when that happened, the uh, middle class in Cuba that was fledgling, small, but they were feeling that there was a chance to move ahead, uh, it was decimated. Hmm. So when I take my readers there, um, we don't stay in government hotels. We don't use government transportation. We use – to the greatest extent that we can – Uh, private, free enterprise uh, run by Cubans. Hmm.
1: Um, Well, let's move on to your second song.
0: Yeah, and we were talking about uh, how I grew up and still am a sailor. I heard this when I was very young. I do not know the first year I heard this, but it would have been in the 60s. Although this actually was composed by a famous uh, composer named Richard Rogers. People that know Uh, The stage in New York will recognize he was already an award-winning composer for um, musicals and things like that. And in 1952, he was brought in to do the soundtrack for one of the most famous television series in our history, the Victory at Sea series, which was about, I think, a dozen separate uh, programs. And it was mainly the story of uh, the U.S. Navy in World War II. When I first heard this in the mid-60s, I was already a sailor. I was very young. But I immediately understood that this music, without any words, captured what the ocean was like. Because I'd been on the ocean by that
1: point. Mm. You knew that. Nobody told you that. You just knew it.
0: So when I heard this, it was the sound of the ocean. If the ocean could sing, it would sing this song.
1: All right. Well, we can't set it up any better than that. Let's hear it. This is uh, Victory at Sea by who?
0: Richard Rogers was the composer. Right. Robert Bennett was the guy in charge of the orchestra. All right. Let's hear it.
1: When's the last time you would have listened to that prior to the, you know, now or having maybe you listened to it in preparing for this? uh, Let me think. Uh, Prior to uh,
0: coming here, it was. uh, Six weeks ago.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. W- what was happening six weeks ago? I was writing.
0: <laughs> okay. I was writing a uh, a, a section on uh, going out at sea, and uh, I've been in every ocean: uh, the North Pacific, the South Pacific, the Indian, the North Atlantic, South Pacific, uh, South Atlantic. And uh, when I hear this, I'm back out on the ocean, and you can in the music you can you can feel the seas. Mm -hmm. rise up, you lift you up, and then fall away. You can just feel
1: that. I was definitely channeling that vision uh, because of the way you described it.
0: And I've sailed everything from a dinghy to a 295-foot square rigger. And when you're on a square rigger on the ocean in those kind of uh, swells, it's impressive. (laughs) It is so impressive. So as I was just listening seconds ago to this – Uh, I was no longer in the sound studio. I was on that square rigger, the most famous square rigger in the world, the Eagle, the Coast Guard Eagle. And I was back out at sea.
1: Do you listen to music while you're sailing? Yes. I mean, what kind of, you know, do you just CD player with some speakers probably? Yeah, yeah, just CD, you know, one of those cheapo. Yeah, something that can get wet or destroyed and no big deal. Yeah.
0: Yeah, a little beach kind of thing that you can take with you. And, uh, yeah, listen to – you know, Buffett has a great box set. Uh-huh. Do you remember the box set? Oh, of course. Buffett? Yeah, yeah. And they have, he's got one that's like the mellow one. Uh-huh. You know, that's what I usually listen. But I listen to um, Calypso. I like classic Calypso.
1: I'm not sure I would be able to distinguish uh, between <laughs> – There's a
0: huge difference between Calypso and reggae. Okay, yeah, yeah. Calypso was the original. Gotcha. So I like listening to that, the old historic, you know, classic. And, uh, and then I listen to stuff from around the world.
1: What is it like when you're in an environment for research for the book? I mean, do you, do you travel with someone? Do you go alone? Do you have a routine? I mean, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I would love to know what it's like to say, I'm going to go to this place and be there as a sponge for what I know I need to do.
0: Well, in Africa, I spent, I, I was there for 1,100 kilometers on a journey from the coast um, near Casablanca to um, up in the mountains, the Atlas Mountains, and then down into the desert, the Serra, to, to research. I was also in Spain and Italy and the Caribbean on, on that trip. So I was gone, um, I don't know, a couple months. That was for my fifth, yes, my fifth book called An Affair of Honor. And um, I just, uh, normally I'm by myself, Sometimes I mix in my lecture tours because I lecture around the world. So I will be in that part of the world doing lectures. Um, I I researched for my book about the South Pacific. It took me seven years of visiting the South Pacific, which, you know, I just had to do it. (laughs) Do you take
1: notes? Do you take pictures? Do you record audio? I
0: take a lot of pictures and I take a lot of notes. And I'm writing as I'm going. For those seven years, I was doing lectures through the South Pacific, so I was there already. But um, I ended up all over South Pacific, and likewise in the, in Southeast Asia. I was I spent uh, three months in Indonesia, Malaysia, Cambodia, and Vietnam, and Philippines, researching my seventh book, Honored Dead.
1: Does karaoke fit into your world anywhere? It seems like during your travels, you might have wound up in a karaoke bar or two. Um,
0: actually, you know, what's funny is, is uh, I was researching my fourth book. A Dark, no, what was it? Oh, A Dishonorable Few. And I was on a German freighter for 10,000 miles, and the crew was Filipino. And Filipinos, I happen to really like the Philippine people, uh, the culture, the history is fascinating, and they love karaoke. One memorable night, uh, we anchored off of uh, Panama City, getting ready to go through the canal to steam through the canal our second time through, and we were anchored for the night. And we had a karaoke party on deck. There Nineteen guys in the crew, and most of them are Filipino. And we had a big uh, barbecue. They brought out a giant uh, barbecue thing, and we ate uh, lechon asado, which is barbecue pork, and drank beer, and uh, rum, and bourbon. And karaoke all night long. I mean, literally all night long.
1: And you were participating? Oh, yeah. What were you singing? Any, remember, any songs that you can I, remember? I
0: successfully held out and they demanded that I, as the only American on board the ship, had to do a, a song and they had picked it out for me. And I actually did in this crowded anchorage with microphones, Frank Sinatra's, my way at two or three in the morning,
1: uh are you a singer in general, or was no. this an outlier event for you no this was uh, <laughs> this was uh quasi humiliating. Man.
0: but uh, I'm
1: glad we are that, retelling telling the story now yeah
0: and uh so the next morning i was uh i was sort of i was being very quiet, and they told me the next morning, hey, you were really good, so you know.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, I you know, I it's think good to have good reviews. It's the good next to day. have good reviews. So you don't sing? Uh, do you sing like when you're alone? Or is that something that you do? You know, in, when well, you're in the car.
0: In the old days, I my the line I used was I would I would uh, only sing for drunken dogs and sleeping sailors, or drunken sailors. No, no, drunken <laughs> dogs and sleeping sailors.
1: Okay, um, what about dancing? Uh, does dancing fit into your uh, worldview? Uh,
0: well, you know, I. Uh, Yes, the dancing is part of uh, the connection to the cultures. I, I can't say that I'm very good, but I do enjoy.
1: Yeah. Oh, so you do? You throw your hat into the ring?
0: Yeah, I've been known to
1: do that. Yeah. Um, okay, well, we're moving on to your last song.
0: Well, uh, this is uh, one that that uh, I first heard about 20 years ago, and uh, Lorena McKinnitt did it, and uh, I became an immediate huge fan. I listened to her a lot. And as I said earlier, I like going. I like going and seeing her in person. She doesn't do many events anymore. She went through a tragedy in her, her uh, personal life, but uh, occasionally she still does. And this, uh, I was going through a personal journey, as as have many people, uh, trying to find faith or, you know, the meaning of life and things like that. Twenty years ago, and I heard this, and it just hit me. And then I uh, paid attention to the lyrics, and it meant even more. And so, this is the song, uh, this is one of the songs that would be played at my memorial. And I was thinking about doing a video and showing up at my own memorial also just to, you know, creep people out a yeah. little bit. But, but um, I'm back. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you always try to get the last word in, you know. But this song means a lot to me. And it is uh, hauntingly beautiful.
1: Well, let's hear it. This is um, Dante's Prayer?
0: Dante's Prayer.
1: All right. Have you uh, seen her play that live?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, in D.C., at a very nice uh, kind of uh, intimate uh, venue... She was um gosh, seven feet from me, and um she has a band that is uh uh has a lot of really interesting instruments, and i I know you were listening to some of the different corners of sound that are filled in mm-hmm. um and her stage performance is even more stunning than hearing it you know on a just by sound, so um yeah, I want that played at my at my memorial service because the message there is you will make it. There is more than just this. And if you think you're in the middle of a dark, endless night, you will make it. Don't worry.
1: How often do you listen to her music? Well, maybe once a month,
0: yeah. you know, somewhere around there. once every couple of weeks. So it's these three songs to me sum up kind of the Three corners of my of my soul, my uh, fascination with history, my life upon the sea, and uh, my faith, because I did find faith, and I'm a healthier and happier person now, a much
1: better person, I think. And you think this song is it was part of the you know putting that puzzle together?
0: Yeah, it, it was one of those journeys that you you look back and you go, oh. There was this signpost and this signpost and that signpost and you know, either, either you didn't get it at the time or you got it and kind of were busy and kind of shuffled it off. But uh, this song was one of those signposts.
1: Um, was there a fourth song that you considered adding to this list that you had to whittle it down or were these three no, pretty easy to move no, in on? No, no.
0: These three were immediate to me. When I was approached to do this show, I, I immediately thought of these three.
1: Hmm. You know, we mentioned briefly before we started how you you have chosen three songs that are sort of off the beaten path, maybe in terms of popular culture and things like that. Mm-hmm. Is that just uh, uh, emblematic who you are?
0: Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I, in some ways, I think I am an outlier uh, from from the norm. Uh, I guess some people would call me abnormal because of that, but uh, it. I think. Uh, particularly in this country, we are so diverse uh, in our culture that um, maybe I'm not abnormal. Maybe we're mm-hmm. all so diverse that that in itself is the norm.
1: Hmm. You know, I was thinking back when you were describing being a you know like a beach bum kid, kind of mm-hmm. listening to like shanties. Oh yeah, <laughs> were shanties? Yeah. Were, were was there any kind of incongruency between you and your peers when you were that age, or did you, you know, pick your time to listen to what, and so you kind of listened to the popular music when you were around the the buds, uh, and then shanties alone, or what's um, going on?
0: No, most of my buddies <laughs> were shanties too. Were,
1: uh, sailors and uh, and
0: liked folk music hmm. and beach, you know. The Beach Boys and stuff like that. Right, right.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, do you have a best album of all time that you would pick? Is there a –
0: Oh, wow. Um, you know, I liked Frank Sinatra when I was young.
1: Until you had and, to sing him on a German freighter.
0: Yeah. and and <laughs> uh, But when I was young, uh, I, I thought he had an incredible voice. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, I can't think of of one that stands out more than any other. Probably Lorena McKinnon and Jimmy Buffett.
1: Yeah. Jimmy Buffett's come up several times here. Were any of his songs anywhere near maybe, you know, resonating enough to be a song story for you?
0: Well, yeah. uh, You know, uh, Pirate Looks at 40, uh, you know, a lot of his sailor songs. The one about his grandfather – a lot of them resonated with me because did of ever, Sailor.
1: Did you ever meet him over the years? seems like you um, guys might have crossed paths somewhere.
0: Yeah, but uh, he wouldn't remember it, and I did. <laughs> okay. It's one of those deals. <laughs> sure, though. sure. So, yeah.
1: um, are there I any part of a crowd. Are there any songs uh, that you will always turn off if they come up on the radio because you don't <laughs> like the band or you have a negative association with the memory?
0: Um, no, I, I can't think of one right off the top of my head. No? Okay.
1: Um, what are you working
0: on now? My 14th book comes out uh, in March. Um, the United States Naval Institute is publishing this one. And um, the, the book tour is getting geared up now for March to June. It will probably be from Key West to at least New York City uh, and probably beyond New York, yeah. So uh, that takes a lot. So we're I,
1: five months out from, from that. Where uh, is the book? In, I mean, are, is it out of your hands by now? Oh, it's been
0: done okay, for a year and, and a half. That's what I figured. Yeah. Out. No, and I just finished the manuscript for the next book. I'm researching uh, the book after that. In fact, I'll be going to Russia to to do what, what I call eyeball recon, which is where you go to the place and uh, you immerse yourself in the culture. So I'll be going to Russia which is a, a shocker for many of my readers because they know that, that uh, my books mainly take place in the tropics in the world, you know, that tropical <laughs> belt of, of wonderful places. And Russia is definitely not in the tropics, but there, was, there were some significant events that happened there in 1904 and 1905 that shaped world history, which is what I like to write about, those, those events that illuminate how we ended up the way we are. Hmm. And they and frequently they happened 120 years ago. And you might have heard about them, but you didn't understand how it affects your personal life.
1: Hmm. So. Um, any final thoughts? That's all the questions this I've has got been, for you. Uh,
0: This has been great fun. I love doing appearances on uh, PBS and NPR because uh, you guys are so hospitable and so professional. And I love the concept of
1: this show. Oh, well, we love doing it. So, so,
0: yeah, I can tell that you guys have a lot of fun
1: doing this. Yes, show. we do. And we will get you back on Gulf Coast Live when that next book comes out. All right, away. excellent. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you. We make this show in the WGCU studios on the campus of Florida Gulf Coast University in Fort Myers, Florida. Richard Chinqui is co-creator and producer, and the guy who makes the mixes that make our podcast versions so cool. Tara Calligan produces our online content, Chris Duffis is our executive producer, and our theme song was made by Dave 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 Cowan and Stick Martin at Monkey House Studio in St. Pete. For this week's parting tune, I'm going back to November 2013 in the theater at Big Arts on Sanibel during the Sanibel Island Writers. Conference. One of my favorite musicians, Dan Byrne, is on stage playing a set on that Friday evening after the cocktail party outside. I'm going back to this particular memory because we are going to be on that same stage during this year's Writers Conference on Friday, November 9th at 4 p.m. to do our very first live recording of Three Song Stories. I'll be joined on stage by three poets, January O'Neill from Massachusetts, Major Jackson from Vermont, and Anne-Marie Nihurayen from Ireland. hope that's close, Anne-Marie. Each of them is going to get to tell one song story with some other fun stuff sprinkled throughout, so if you want to be a part of that, just Google 2018 Sanibel Island Writers Conference to find out how. Anyway, Dan performed several of my favorite songs of his that night, but what I'm going with now is called Albuquerque Lullaby, because, well, I just really, really love this song, and it connects me to all sorts of memories, and so I want you to hear it. I'm Mike Canary. Keep listening. Next time on Three Song Stories. Were you uh always uh headed toward artist? Did you tote around a sketchbook when you were a kid? There's a realization when I was trying to play baseball in high school, my freshman year, that someone hit a pop fly and I was thirty feet away from it and I was like, I guess I'll be an artist. Um <laughs>